All right, everybody, we welcome you this morning to our Sunday morning worship services. We're going to welcome all of those of you, all of you who are watching by the Internet on YouTube, Ustream, and the sermon audio video. We're glad to have you. We're going to praise the Lord this morning. Joshua's going to come and lead us in some hymn singing and choruses. All right. church if you would all stand up of course <laughs> redeemed how I love to proclaim it number 475 in your hymnal it's up on the board redeemed how I love to proclaim it redeemed by the blood of the lamb redeemed through his infinite mercy his child and forever I am the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am, redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell, I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell, redeemed. the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer, I think of Him all the day long, <clears throat> cannot be silent, His love is the theme of my song. can be seated. We'll have some announcements and then we'll do some more singing. Good morning. I'd like to say a word of welcome to all of you to the services of Grace Church at Franklin and say a special welcome to any first-time visitors that we have here with us. If you did not get an opportunity to sign the register in the foyer, we ask that you would do so as you depart that we might have a record of your attendance. We want to mention a few prayer requests this morning. We want to continue certainly to lift up Pat Jackson, who continues to experience chronic pain, uh, as well as uh, healing from her right shoulder surgery and anticipating this left shoulder surgery coming up in July. So let's remember her before the Lord. Uh, Kathy Gall and her husband Jeff continue to thank the Lord on behalf of your continued prayers for them and for their son, Austin. Uh, he is doing well, so we give praise to the Lord for that. We want to continue to remember Judy LePetri before the Lord. Uh, also remember Carl Perry, he goes back before his doctors, two different doctors this week, uh, as a follow-up to the cancer that he had removed from his head. We pray that might get good results from that. 
Also for Ruby Perry, uh, one of the tests that she had performed was wearing a heart monitor for about 30 days, and it showed that every so often her heart was stopping for about three seconds at a time. So they are contemplating uh, putting in a pacemaker, and she'll have some follow-up appointments soon to, to discuss that and whether that is indeed what they do. Right now they have her on blood thinner, and they're hoping that that alone might correct her problem. So let's remember Ruby. We also want to remember our pastor and Miss Lynn, both who are still continuing to have a little pain from the back and from the feet. We ask that the Lord would intercede on their behalf. Continue to remember George Bishop, who continues to have pain from his uh, post-shingles episode and also uh, for his bladder cancer that is going to be reevaluated in June. Continue to remember Michelle George, that the Lord would turn her cancer numbers around and heal her completely from this disease. We also want to give praise for Ken Humphrey's uh, stepfather. He's still in a rehab hospital in Atlanta, but uh, he was, they were contemplating that he might be to the point where they would have to remove his feet, but he actually walked across the rehab room yesterday. He's making great improvements, Ken said, and a lot of his test results have come back really positive. So he may actually go home sometime soon, and my understanding is he's going to move in with Ken and Vita. So let's continue to remember him before the Lord. We also want to remember Betty Hethcock and, and also for her uh, son and for her granddaughter as they heal up. We want to continue to pray for this gentleman named Anthony who will have some surgery on his prostate tomorrow. Let's ask the Lord to intercede on his behalf. And we want to remind you that beginning this coming Sunday, we will resume our fellowship dinners. Uh, that will meet in the fellowship hall immediately following services. I noticed that the sign-up sheet this morning shows that every spot is filled right now for those who have indicated uh, at least last year that you wanted to help in preparation for or clean up afterwards. We uh, avail you to check that list if your name was on it, and if you can still do that from the time that you signed up last year. Uh, you may take a copy. Linda has placed plenty of copies so you can take your own copy home with you. Uh, and if you're not able to, to make one of those times, just please let Linda Foster know. Uh, hopefully you can find someone to fill your place, but if not, let her know and we will try to find someone else to take care of that. We also want to remind you that beginning next Sunday, we're going to resume Sunday adults, adult Sunday school. And that's going to start at 10 a.m. in the fellowship hall and run to 1030. And then there will be a 15-minute break between that and the worship service. So continue to, to pray about that. And your attendance is certainly appreciated and welcome. And we're continuing to work toward um, finding an opportunity to resume our Sunday school classes for our children. So I didn't see the sign-up list out there this morning. Have, have you taken the sign-up list away for Sunday school? I didn't see the sign-up list. Okay. All right. So if you, if, if you have a desire, if the Lord's uh, put it on your heart to serve in a ministry here at church and you have the gift of teaching, we ask that you might uh, let the pastor know. He said... We need about two or three or more people to sign up. This way, you don't have to teach every Sunday. It could be on a rotating basis, and, and hopefully only a few Sundays, maybe one Sunday a month, uh, you can teach our children on Sunday morning. Again, we just encourage you to pray about those things that the Lord might uh, send people who are willing to serve. And um, it, It's only 30 minutes, and even lessons can be prepared on your behalf. So. Just pray about that again and see what the Lord might uh, lead you to do. We want to remind you that if you uh, want to give a gift to the church, you can do so by placing your gift in the offering located again on the round table in the foyer. And we just thank you again all for being here today and pray that the Lord might bless our pastor with the, with the teaching of the word and bless our hearts and prepare them for what he has to say to us today. Thank you.
right, well, good morning to you all again. I want to say a welcome to anybody who might be just joining us over the internet. We're thankful you're here to worship with us. If we can stand again, we've got a few more hymns to sing. You know, listen to some of those announcements. Talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made. Our heart, your heart can stop for three seconds. And without the Lord sustaining you, we can be out to eternity just like that. Isn't that amazing? The Lord. <clears throat> there is a fountain, 222. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty See? 
going to uh, do a, a little chorus, and I'm going to try and play guitar here, so that's why I moved the podium. Listen, we're, we're studying the uh, calling and election, right? So I'm going to issue a general call to all of you. If there are any guitar players in the audience, in the congregation, who can play, who can bless the Lord and bless everybody with guitar playing every morning, please let us know. And if we find out that there's any one of you, we'll issue the effectual call, right? <laughs> Mr. Smarty Pants Larry over here said, you just admitted you can play well. I can't play and sing very well, so that's why I don't do it very often. <laughs> so we're, this is Thank God I'm Free. Let's see if we can get it up on the board. I think y'all know this one. Probably an old chorus, but Thank God I'm Free. For a long time I've traveled
So I think that's all of our time for this morning. You all can be can be seated. Do you want them sitting down? Hope you all had a good week. Hope you do have a good week. And let's praise the Lord today. Joshua is a talented young man. He has taught himself to play some guitar, taught himself to play some piano. And uh, as he said, if you play any kind of instrument other than the radio, okay, you play the radio, I don't know if we can use you, but if you play anything else other than the radio, anything, flute, trumpet, violin, whatever, we'd love to have you come up and and help us uh, lead the congregation in praising God. The Lord. Now, I'm going to do something here today, and I admit that I'm prejudiced. I have a prejudice. You know, I spoke to you two or three weeks ago about divine discrimination. You know, when you married the woman you married, you discriminated against all the other men. When you go into a Kroger or a Public or some other grocery store and you pick out a product, you discriminate against all the other products. Discrimination is choosing something and not choosing everything else. And God is a discriminating God. He called Abraham, didn't call anybody else. Out of Earl of the Chaldees, as far as we know. Uh, and if he called you and calls me, that's the divine discrimination. So today, here's what I'm getting to. Here's what I have here today of those who are present who were born in April. Uh, Kathy Gall, I think you were born in April. Becky Smith was born in April. In fact, today is Becky's birthday. Kay Horton, is Kay here? Kay was born in April. Charlene Bollinger was born in April. Bonnie Crutcher, John's wife, born in April. Beth Moran was born in April. And my wife, Lynn, was born in April. Today is Lynn's birthday also. So she and Becky are the 25th. Uh, so, people have been asking us, you know, for years and years and years, we sang happy birthday and happy anniversary, and we hadn't done that since the coronavirus, so I'm going to ask you to sing happy birthday. Anybody else here today born in April that you want your birthday acknowledged? All right. Diane was born in April? Yeah, when, when, Diane? Okay. All right, so you got a lot of April babies, so we're going to sing happy birthday all of them. You want to help me out again? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Now, maybe we could do it that way. Maybe we could acknowledge everybody that's in the whole month. Uh, and we could do that maybe on the first Sunday of the month, everybody that was born in that particular, for that particular month. All right, Lynn, are we going to do... Uh, all right, well, we, we, I sent a couple of uh, 
traditional songs, hymns, to the fellows to put them on the screen, but we're going to do What a Mighty God We Serve. So if you want to stand up, I hate to have you stand up, but if you want to stand up for this one, you can. If you need to sit down, it's okay, too. All right? I mean, most of you should know all of it anyway. Yeah, keep going, Sue. We don't want you to stop because I'm talking. Let's go. Everybody, what a mighty God we serve, what a mighty God we serve, angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him, what a mighty God we serve, oh, what a mighty God we serve, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God, he's the king of kings, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he is the Lord of lords. We call him Jesus, we call him Jesus, 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 Jesus. oh, what a mighty God we serve, what a mighty God we Do he's the king of heaven. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We call him Jesus, 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 Jesus. Salvation. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. I will enter his gaze with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. One more time. 
What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we to keep you from jacking up and down, sitting up and down, just remain standing for the reading of Scripture, if you will, and open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Yeah, go ahead, sir. <laughs> We're going to sing this before we read the scripture. Ready? Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I Thessalonians chapter 1, after introducing himself and uh, Timothy and Silas, that's Savanus. He's writing to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we're giving thanks to God for you always, in verse 2. We remember without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. And then verse 4 he says, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Now if you don't mind, turn over to Second Thessalonians, only over about three or four pages. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he begins by talking about a lot of deception that's going to come upon the world, but there are certain people who will not be deceived. Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, Beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught whether by word or by our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us 
and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated today as our 12th study. I'd like to talk to you today about something that I hope you never get tired of hearing about. I've dealt with it a little bit here in the last study, and that is the mercy of God. I never get tired of talking about the mercy of God because I need His mercy. So I'd like to talk to you today about some of the essential elements of mercy, specifically three essential elements. This is the twelfth study under the general theme, Reasons for Christians to Rejoice, And we have, for the last few studies, concentrated on verse 4 of the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Christians can rejoice in the election of God because it is one expression of God's mercy to them. So without further delay, let me make the first point of today's study, and it is this. Our God is a merciful God. As we have learned, mercy is God's title. Mercy is His mark of identification. It is a characteristic or an attribute that distinguishes Him from all other so-called gods. All of His promises are based upon His mercy. Mercy, according to the Scripture, is always granted to sinners who come to Him for it. That is, He has promised to be merciful to those who come to Him for salvation, to those who are trusting Him through faith in His Son for all of their righteousness. Mercy is the capstone of all of His works. Now listen, this is important. He is not only merciful to the undeserving, He is merciful to the ill-deserving. Now, we should know what undeserving means. But just for the sake of clarity, the official definition from the dictionary for undeserving is, quote, not deserving or worthy of something positive, especially help or praise. Now, to help you understand what undeserving means, here are some synonyms, words that mean the same thing, words that could be substituted for the word undeserving. Gives us an even better idea of its meaning. Contemptible, unfit, worthless, unsuitable, shameful, despicable, no account, no good, wretched, Yes, our Lord is merciful to the undeserving, but as I said a moment ago, He is merciful to the ill-deserving. Whereas undeserving means not deserving of mercy, ill-deserving means positively deserving punishment. We do not deserve His mercy, we positively deserve His wrath. Now let me illustrate how great His mercy is to us, the ill-deserving. 
During the days of the Civil War, a young man was to be executed. I think he was to be hung by the neck until dead. He stood guilty of an unforgivable war crime, and not only were there reliable witnesses to his crime, but he himself confessed to it. Now, President Abraham Lincoln, who was present to witness the execution, had thoroughly studied the case, and he had concluded that the crime was so heinous, the prisoner was not only undeserving, but ill-deserving of mercy. Well, about a half an hour before the scheduled execution, a man who personally knew the condemned soldier gained an audience with the president. And I suppose the one single thing that moved President Lincoln to grant the petitioner an audience was the fact that he had walked 125 miles to make his appeal to the president for mercy. The president had walked many a mile himself. If you know anything about the life of Abraham Lincoln, he walked everywhere he went in his younger life. He'd walked many a mile in his day, and 125 miles was no small feat. Besides, Abraham Lincoln was known to be a fair and reasonable man. And such a tremendous effort, though it would have no bearing on the decision, should not be denied. So the president granted the petitioner a brief audience to make his case for mercy. The man, as I understand it, was a Quaker. But knowing that his time was short, began immediately to make a passionate appeal to President Lincoln for mercy. And the president sat quietly and listened patiently to the petitioner for some 15 minutes, who pled his case for mercy with tears. And when he had completed his eloquent arguments, the president said, Such an appeal I have never heard in my life. But I'm sorry, sir, I cannot grant a pardon for your friend. And there was a pause, and then the man, looking straight at the president, said, Friend, Mr. President, this man is not my friend. I have known him near all my life, and he's caused me and my family nothing but grief, trouble, and sorrow. Sir, I have not come to plead for the life of my friend, but for my enemy. Needless to say, the president and all present were taken aback by this shocking revelation. And Lincoln, believing very strongly in the sovereignty of God, President Abraham Lincoln was raised a primitive Baptist may have reasoned, we don't know for sure, we don't know for sure what he thought, but he may have reasoned that all of these circumstances, that man showing up, walking 125 miles, pleading for his enemy, all these circumstances were ordained of God, and that he himself, President Lincoln himself, was a sinner, 
who was ill-deserving of the mercy of God. At any rate, he granted the petitioner his request for mercy for his enemy. And my dear friends, our Savior came a lot farther than 125 miles to save ill-deserving sinners. I'm not only undeserving, I am ill-deserving. The Bible plainly says, when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man some would dare to die, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It'd be a great and difficult thing for someone to die for even a righteous person. It might be that someone might die for a good person, but God sent His Son in Jesus Christ. He sent His love, His mercy in Jesus Christ for those who are ungodly, who are ill-deserving. Our Lord Jesus Himself said, They who are whole do not need a physician, but they that are sick. Go and learn what that saying, I want mercy and not sacrifice, means. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And again, Jesus said to the religious people of his generation, the publicans and the harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. And again, it is written, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And David, a man after God's own heart, uttered this plea to the Lord, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me through and through from mine iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones whence thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David sounds a lot like he thought himself to be ill-deserving. Again, it was David who said, The Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart and saved such as be of a contrite spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And once again we read in Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Our Lord is merciful. And this brings me to the second point, which is a question. What is mercy? What is mercy? Webster's Dictionary defines mercy as a disposition to forgive, to spare, pity, clemency, forbearance, compassion, or beneficence. The Greek and Hebrew words that are translated mercy are in other passages rendered kindness, 
pitiful, compassionate, and propitious. But let me tell you a simple way to grasp the general meaning of the term merciful as it is used in the Scripture. And remember this, when we say that the Lord is merciful, we are simply saying that He's full of mercy. Listen, it's mercy full. Mercy full. He's full of mercy. If you can remember that simple lesson, you will have gotten the major idea of the mercy of God in, by, and through our Lord Jesus Christ. The love and the kindness of God in Christ is expressed through the attribute of mercy. He sent His Son because He's full of mercy. He called us to faith because He's full of mercy. By His mercy, He regenerated us and renewed the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit which Adam lost in the Garden of Eden when he sinned is renewed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So try to remember that merciful means mercy full, full of mercy, full of mercy in His only begotten Son. And this brings me to the third point. What are the essential elements of mercy? I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Romans. And we'll begin with Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And as I often say, if you're not familiar with your Bible, just look in the front table of contents and you can find out where the book of Romans is. I don't have a SAS or faith partner Bible for you to turn to. I can tell you what page to turn to. So you can find it or you can look on with your friends and there should be some Bibles there in front of you in the pews. Romans chapter 6, as we consider the question, what are the essential elements of mercy? And I want you to listen carefully. Let's look first of all, and as we consider this, mercy, if it is mercy, must be free. Mercy, if it is mercy, must be free. Now look at Romans 6, and this is a popular verse, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you'll notice that sin always pays those who work for it. If we sin against God, the holy law will always pay us for our work. And because the law is just, we will always be paid exactly what we have earned. No more and no less for our sins. For all the people who want fairness, who want what they have earned, who want what's coming to them, when payday comes, you'll be paid right up to the last cent for your sins. You will have earned it, and you'll be paid your wages. But notice that eternal life is not a payment, but a gift of the God of mercy. Now, there are two words used in the New Testament. I started to send notes and put them up on the board as I often do, but I didn't today. You'll probably recognize some of these words. Two words used in the New Testament. There's a third word, but it's only used once or twice to translate the idea of a gift. The first word is charisma. 
Now, charisma is the word that's used here in verse 23, translated by the word gift. Gift. The charisma of the Lord, he says, is eternal life. And then, in Ephesians 2, you won't have to turn there, but all of you will probably remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Well, that's the word doron, D-O-R-A-N, doron. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, some of you are going to remember this. I'm just going to tell you where these passages are because I've mentioned it several times. You can turn back to Romans chapter 3, and I'll make a point from Romans 3. But you're going to remember that I pointed out to you from John's Gospel chapter 15 and verse 25, John 15, 25, when Jesus talks about people hating Him and hating His Father also. He said, he that hates me hates my father. And then he said this, but this comes to pass, this is coming to pass, that it might be fulfilled what was written in their law, they hated me without a cause. And that word is dorion, it's the adverb form of this word doron. Doron that's used in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the adverbial form of that word used in John chapter 15 and verse 25. And I have pointed out to you that when I asked the question, why did men hate Jesus? The word there is translated without a cause. They hated me without a cause, Jesus said, John 15, 25. Some translations have it, they hated me freely. So what does without a cause mean? It means there was no cause in Jesus to cause their hatred. The cause of their hatred was in their own depraved hearts. There was no cause in Him, but the cause was in them. The Lord said of the devil in John chapter 8 and verse 44, when he speaks a lie, he speaks it of himself. For he's a liar and the father of it. And so there was no cause in the Lord Jesus for hatred. The cause was in those who hated him. Now, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, We are justified freely... By His grace through the redemptions in Christ Jesus. Now the word translated freely is the same word translated without a cause in John 15, 25. Dorian, D-O-R-E-A-N. Dorian, freely. So what is this saying in Romans 3, 24? He says we're justified without a cause. By His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means there is no cause in you. There is no cause in me as to why God would have mercy upon us. The cause of His mercy is in the God of mercy. Now that's something you need to get straight. 
You don't earn His mercy by what you do or by what you don't do. Well, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. No, you know, we have the habit, all of us as human beings, we have the habit when we're critical. And I listen to the TV now, the news programs have become nothing but gossip. (laughs) Who's doing what? And I talk back to the TV all the time. I talk back to it all the time. And you know, I, I, I usually, if I'm talking about something for somebody, I'm usually talking about some weakness they have, which, bless God, I don't have. (laughs) You see, we always pick on the weaknesses others have in areas where we're strong. We don't have a weakness there. So we say, well, I don't see how he did that. Well, you won't do that, but you'll do this. You got me? You may not do that, but you'll do this. We all have these problems. We all have these weaknesses in ourselves. And I want you to understand this. If you don't understand anything else I say today, the cause for men's hatred, resistance, rebellion against God, and the gospel is in themselves. It is not in Him. And the cause for our redemption, the cause for our justification, the cause for our eternal salvation is not in us. It's in Him. It's in him. Even the Bible says of Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say that God found grace in Noah. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So together, these two words, charisma and doron, D-O-R-A-N, emphasize the freeness of the mercy of God toward ill-deserving sinners. And here's what these words mean. When we say we're justified freely, when we say we're justified without a cause, when we say we're saved by sovereign mercy, this is what I mean about that. Number one, God's mercy cannot be earned. God's mercy cannot be earned if pardon and forgiveness and compassion and kindness, if all of that can be earned, then the salvation of the Bible cannot be by mercy. Let me put it another way. If salvation can be bought or bartered or sold or earned, then the salvation of the Bible is not by mercy, but it's only a sort of a trade. I'll do this, God, if you'll do that. In other words, God does not exchange mercy for anything we do or anything we are. He doesn't exchange mercy for local church membership or for baptism or for faithfulness or even for obedience. He does not even exchange His mercy for faith and repentance. And this is the idea in the modern evangelism in America. You do your part and the Lord will do His part. Isn't that right? You do your part. You take the first step. Here's the thing. If, uh, if, if, as Charles Adams Spurgeon said, if I could take the first step, I could run the whole distance. <laughs> If I could take the first step, what about when Jesus came up to the tomb of Lazarus? Read about this in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And he said, Lazarus, if you'd like to get out of this grave now, if you'll take the first step. Now, Lazarus, you just wiggle your toe, let me know you want to get out, because you know, I wouldn't want to violate your will. 
I wouldn't want to hurt you. I wouldn't want to violate your will. If you don't want to. No, Jesus, number one, Jesus had to go where Lazarus was. Lazarus was dead. Not only that, Lazarus was good and dead. He'd been dead three days. And the Jews had a superstition that the spirits stayed around the body seeking to enter back into the body for three days. Jesus got there on the fourth day. If you read the Bible in John 11, it'll say when they told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, it says, and he stayed in the same place where he was. Instead of running over there and saying, oh my goodness, I need to get there before he dies. No, he stayed where he was so he could die. And when he got there, he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not here to the intent that you might believe. Read it. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 11. The Lord Jesus Christ had to go to the dead man. He had to call him out of the grave. Lazarus, it says he said with a loud voice, come forth. And he that was dead walked out of the grave with grave clothes on him. Where did Lazarus get the life to come out? Well, you see, the power it was in the Word. When the Lord Jesus said, come forth, just like He said in the creation of the world, let there be light, and there was light. So when He said, come forth, He sent the power in that Word, the life went into Lazarus, and now Lazarus can respond to His Word. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach you respond and then God responds. It teaches that God does something for you, and the result of that is your response. That's exactly right. And you can trace your birth into this world. Did you do something to be born? You didn't do anything to be born. Somebody else did. Somebody else did. And you don't do anything to be born again either. You do something if you are born again. You know, the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not you must born yourself again, or with God's help you cooperate. No, he said you must be. Something else is the cause of your new birth. So, God's mercy cannot be earned. Okay? The second thing is this. The cause of His mercy, and I've really already pointed this out, but I'm going to come at a little different angle. The cause of mercy can only be found in the God who bestows it. As I have explained many times before, our Savior said there was no reason for men to hate Him. But it came to pass that they hated Him because they had hatred in their hearts. In the same way, There's no cause for our salvation except in the God who has saved us. Right here in this Romans 3, 24 passage, it plainly says that we are justified freely, Dorian, without a cause in us by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. My friends, listen, mercy to be mercy must be freely bestowed. And this means not only that mercy cannot be earned, but that there is no cause for mercy except in the good pleasure of the Lord. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. That's over about 15 pages from Romans. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 
And then Ephesians. Ephesians. No cause for our salvation except in the God of mercy. Mercy, to be mercy, must be freely bestowed. It cannot be earned. There's no cause for it except in the good pleasure of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice how often Bible writers speak about the good pleasure of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, for example, beginning in verse 1 and going all the way through verse 14, that is one sentence. That's one sentence from verse 1 to verse 14. It's interrupted with semicolons and commas and all that. It's one sentence. Why is that? Because Paul got started talking about the mercy, the sovereign mercy and salvation of God, and he just ran out of breath 14 verses later. (laughs) And this is what he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places where they found in Christ. How did we come about them, Paul? He has chosen us, verse 4, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. Without blame. You think about that. You stand before God. If you stand in Christ, you stand before God without blame. The Bible says the one we call Lucifer is his name. We call him devil, Satan, dragon, adversary, serpent. Those are titles that describe his character. And the Bible says he is an accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that went up and accused Job. Where have you been? Lucifer, oh, I've been going to and fro in the earth. Well, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth that eschews evil, that shuns evil and fears me. He accused Job, and he's the accuser of the brethren. And he says here that we can't be accused of anything if we're in Christ. We stand before him without blame. Watch this now, verse 5, having predestinated, pruharizo, determined the, 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 the horizon before, having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. And why has that happened, Paul? According to the good pleasure of His will. What does that mean? It means it just pleased Him to do it. You remember when the Lord Jesus said, uh, He says a lot of the things that I'm teaching are hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes. Then He made this statement, even so, Father, for so it seems good in thy sight. You say, why, why does God do things like this? Because He wants to. And because He's God, He can do what He pleases. And it says here, He did this according to His good pleasure. The good pleasure of His will. I hope to speak to you next week on God's will, man's will, and free will. I hope, to, I hope that's what I'm, I'm going to talk to you about next week. Verse 6, He did this to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. 
It's not about us accepting things. It's about Him accepting us. He's accepted us in the Beloved. The only place a sinner can be accepted is in Christ. In whom, in Christ, verse 7, we have redemption, a word that means to be purchased from the slave market, to be redeemed through His blood. That was the price paid for our redemption, His blood the fruit of it, the forgiveness of sins. The cause of it, the riches of His grace. Then what does He do? Those whom He calls, those whom He redeems, He begins to teach them. Verse 8, He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's given us an understanding of the gospel, an understanding of the sovereign pleasure of God revealed in Scripture. Verse 9, He has made known unto us Now, do you have an us in your verse? It doesn't say he's made known, generally speaking, to the world. He has made known unto us the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? That redemption and salvation is only in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that in the future, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, things that are in heaven, things that are on the earth, even in him. Verse 11, in whom, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We have an inheritance being predestinated. There it is again. According to the purpose of, of Him who works all things. Not many things, not most things. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. That we, we who are in Christ, we who are called, we who are believers, that we should what? We should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. That is, once you are in Christ, you can never be out of Christ. You're sealed like grandmother's preserves. It's sealed. It's good when you open it down the road. Ten years later, it's still good. And when he opens up the graves on the great judgment day, you'll still be good. Which is, the Holy Spirit is, verse 14, I don't know how many of you have this translation, the earnest, that's the earnest money, that's the down payment. You interested in buying this car? Yeah, give me a little earnest money. You interested in buying this house? Yeah, well give me a little down payment. Give me a little earnest money. This is the earnest, the Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the entire purchased possession. Notice, purchased. You've been purchased. You've been bought. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 tells you how you were bought. It says you were bought with the blood of God. Acts 20, 28. After you are bought, and the Spirit of God comes, 
He says, and to the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. That is, Jesus Christ has not just redeemed your spirit, not just redeemed your soul, He has redeemed also your body. And so mercy, to be mercy, must not, it cannot be earned, it cannot be You can't motivate God. The cause of it is in Him. And then lastly, mercy to be mercy. And I've really already emphasized this, but let me do it again. Mercy to be mercy must be undeserved. Now think about this. Whoever deserves mercy can't possibly have it. Because by very definition, mercy is favor shown to the undeserving and even the ill-deserving. Remember the last little story I told you last week about Napoleon that was going to execute a man? And the man's wife ran up to him, and the man's mother ran up to the scaffold and wrapped her uh, arms around her son, and she wouldn't let him go so they could execute him. And she kept crying, have mercy have mercy, have mercy to Napoleon. And finally Napoleon said, but he doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, but sir, if he deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. If he deserved mercy, it wouldn't be mercy. You see, mercy is not something you deserve. It's to the ill-deserving. And that is what we have to understand. We cannot, we have to be very, very careful that we don't get our flesh in the way. The Bible tells us, you know, let's, let's turn one more passage back to Romans. Back to Romans, over toward the end of the book of Romans. Let's see. Uh, if I can't find it, I'll tell you what it is, and you can tell me where it is. But this is what he says. I'm looking for the place where he says it cannot be by works otherwise grace is no more grace and cannot be by just by grace otherwise works is no more works. Anybody find that? I just cannot think right now where it is. I think it's in Romans 10 or Romans 11 rather. I think that's where it is. Uh, Any of you Bible scholars out there, find it, let me know. Here it is. It's Romans chapter 11. I've got it. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. He says, when the prophet Elijah said, Lord, everybody's abandoned you, and I'm the only one that's left. That's verse 3, Romans 11, verse 3. Then the, the writer says, Paul, he says, well, what did God say to him? Here's what God said, Romans 11, verse 4. God would say, oh, no, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, why didn't they bow the knee to Baal? Because God reserved them. God reserved them. Once some people came to Christ, just stay right here now. Once some people came to Christ, and they said to him, uh, well, Why don't we believe? You know what he said? He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I I know them, and they know me, and they follow me. He said, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep will hear me. That's what he said. Now watch this. Here it is, verse 5. 
So at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it's by grace, it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it's of works, it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What does that mean? It means you have to be saved by grace or by works. You can't mix any works, any minuscule amount of your flesh and works in with the grace. If you do, it nullifies grace. There's no more grace. You have to be saved by works or you have to be saved by grace. You can't be saved by both. It's like oil and water. You can't mix them. So we got to make sure that we get ourselves out of the picture and Christ alone is our salvation. Christ alone is our righteousness. Christ alone is our standing before God. That's what he said. Otherwise, you nullify one or the other. My dear friends, let me close and say this. This is so difficult for us to fathom because I think the Scriptures have been twisted so much today that somebody will think I'm being mean, but I'm not being mean. My ministry is not to glorify man, but to glorify the Lord. To glorify Him. And I'm happy if He's glorified, whether men are happy or not. That's my ministry. So here's what I want to tell you. The Lord does not owe any son or any daughter of anything. He doesn't owe them anything but judgment. We just read that a while ago. The wages, wages, wages. That's what you earn. Wages are what you earn. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the charisma, the something you didn't work for, out of the mercy of God, gift is from the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. We must understand this if we are going to understand sovereign mercy. The Lord does not owe us anything. Believers in Jesus Christ are saved by sovereign mercy. Do I believe myself? Yes, I do. But I believe because the Lord first did something for me. Now, don't we say all the time, isn't this in the Bible? We love Him because He... All right. Let me, let me say that you can put everything else under that. We call on Him. Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. We call Him because He first called us. You go back to the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Who called who first? Did Adam call on God and say, I've sinned. I listened to my wife. She gave me that fruit, and I'm sorry. No, sir. God called him. Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hide from you. I was naked, and I hid myself. I'm trying to make me some clothes here. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Well, the woman you gave me. That's what he says. See, I was perfectly happy here without her. And you gave me a woman, and it's really, really it's your fault. Because if you hadn't given me the woman, she wouldn't have been here to give me the apple. You get what I mean? I don't think the Lord got what he meant. 
Because the Scripture tells us in the New Testament that Eve was deceived, but the man was not deceived. There was a sign there that said, no, trans no trespassing, and he said, I'm going to do it anyway. And the race fell in Adam. By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so all have sinned. So believers in Jesus Christ are saved by sovereign Mercy. Let me ask you a question. What do I have that the Lord needs? <laughs> what do I have that He hasn't given me? What could I do that would benefit Him? Now, Lord, you need me in this. You need me. Listen, He made me. He created me. He, he's given me everything I have. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, What do you have that you have not received? Now, if you've received it, how can you boast and brag about it as though you did not receive it? Believers in Christ are saved by sovereign mercy. I don't have anything he needs. Everything I have he's given me. What can I do that would benefit him? You say, is that Bible? Just listen to this and then I'll tell you where it's found and I'm through. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of woman that he should be righteous. Behold, the Lord puts no trust in his saints. Yea, even the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinks iniquity like water. That's in Job chapter 15. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The person you think you know, you don't know them. You don't even know yourself. I'm still figuring out who I am. He goes on to say, if you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness may hurt a man as you are, and your righteousness may profit the son of man. That's in Job chapter 35. God is God. He was God before I was born. He's going to be God after I'm gone. And He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. Listen, here's our part. You want to know what your part is? Your part and my part is fall down and worship him and give him glory and trust him. That's our part. And he has mercy upon those I've never read in the scripture where there was a sinner that sought the Lord. Call upon the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he is near. Because you see, when a sinner calls upon the Lord, it's because the Lord has called upon him. You can bet your boots on that. If you're interested in salvation, if you're interested in your soul, it's because the Lord has been calling on you. He's been calling on you. We love Him because He first loved us. We call on Him because He first called on us. We seek Him because He first sought us. Does the shepherd seek the sheep or the seek 
the, the, the sheep seek the shepherd. I know what men mean when they say, I found him. I know that. I know what, I know what they mean, but he wasn't lost. <laughs> he wasn't lost. The sheep are the lost. The lost sheep he seeks. He calls. Sovereign mercy. May the Lord add his blessings. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to, to think about it. Some of you may have never heard things like this, but I've tried to give you a Bible for it. It's in the Scripture. And here's the thing. We can trust Him. He's trustworthy. If you stay around me too long, I'm going to disappoint you. There'll come a time when I'll disappoint you. It'll be something I won't do that I should have done, or something that I don't do that I should have done. I mean, there'll be one way or another I'll disappoint you, but he will never disappoint because he keeps his word. And I still believe that if you call upon the name of the Lord, if you look to him, if you bow to him, if you say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, I believe that he saves those who have a contrite spirit and those who call upon him. I believe that, because that's what the Bible says. All right, we're going to sing our little song, and then I'm going to dismiss you with a benediction. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shadow. Under the blood